and welcome to the Select Sector Spider Sector Digest podcast for the week of August 14th, 2023. I'm your host, Paul Bayaki, ready to dig into all things sectors for the week ahead and look back at the week that was. And when you add it all up, the S&P 500 down 31 basis points for the week, now up 16.27% for the week. And you look at the performance of some of these sectors last week, healthcare up 2.5%. That's a meaningful weight in the S&P 500. Energy, small weight, up 3.43%, best performer this week. And even communication services up six basis points for the week. And it's hard to rationalize how the market could be down. But then you look at technology down 2.5%, consumer discretionary down 1.07%. And it starts to make a little more sense because those sectors are significant weights in the market. And the other sectors that have pretty big weights in the market didn't do a whole lot. Financials up three basis points, industrials up 60 basis points. So the data this week was interesting because we had a big jump in consumer credit at the beginning of the week. And in theory, that's reflective of consumers spending a lot of money, borrowing to do so, of course, but also could signal some cracks in the consumer as they're starting to get more leveraged. Then we had the NFIB Small Business Optimism Index, which beat and hit an eight-month high. One of the things you'll notice in that NFIB Optimism Index chart is relative to consumer confidence, they're diverging. Consumer confidence has been going up, is trending in the positive direction, and NFIB Optimism is trending in the other direction. So one of these has to give. It speaks to some of the data we got at the end of the week as well, where CPI came in line, trending in the right direction. Market really liked that when that print came out. And then we had PPI, which was higher than expected, 0.3 versus 0.2. Wholesale inflation, which had been falling much more quickly than consumer inflation, at the very least gave us a head fake this week where it was up more than expected. And within it, the cost of services rose half a percent last month, up from 0.1% drop in June. So this is the largest increase in a year. It's reflective of a segment of the market that has been really durable. And here we are trying to get through another batch of economic data ahead of the next Fed meeting, specifically inflation data. And when you look at that CPI, PPI divergence that we've talked about recently, PPI falling at a slower rate than PPI. And you've got this push-pull between the cost for businesses, the cost for consumers. In theory, the divergence is beneficial for corporate profitability and margins. But this week, this latest PPI print showed that wholesale inflation is actually being pressured in different ways than consumer inflation. And going forward with energy prices now, significantly higher than where they had been, at least on average over the course of the past few months. We'll see if that starts to work its way through headline and core inflation, both on the consumer and wholesale front. As I mentioned, energy up 3.43%, best performer once again this week. It's a sector that was really in the doldrums for a large chunk of this year after being the best performing sector by such a wide margin last year. And it started to perk up quite a bit in recent weeks. 
when you look at the average volume across the select sector spider lineup, we saw 604 million shares traded across the lineup. So a decent week in terms of activity. From Flow's perspective, about 7 million shares out. But this was one of those weeks where we actually saw a lot of action in creation and redemption. There were 19.5 million shares redeemed out of XLF alone. As we talk about, that one is sort of an outlier. But then you had some chunky creation and redemption activity in other sectors. 6 million shares redeemed out of materials, XLB. 4.6 million shares created in XLE. Again, one of those sectors that's starting to get some action, whether it's creation activity, whether it's relative performance, we saw 6.8 million shares created in XLI or industrials, 2.9 million shares created in XLK or technology. And then the flip side is, is we saw 2 million shares redeemed out of XLU, 1.2 million shares redeemed out of XLRE. But you strip out that big redemption out of XLF and you strip out those redemptions out of utilities and real estate. And you saw some pretty meaningful creation activity spread across a number of sectors. What that means, as always, hard to read into, hard to gauge because week to week, quarter to quarter, month to month, creation and redemption flows activity isn't necessarily predictive, but it is instructive in terms of how investors are positioning. And because energy has started to bubble back up, it is the sector in focus this month. And I don't want to focus on valuations or fundamentals with energy because we, we came out of this most recent quarter and the big names in the sector, Exxon, Chevron, and then some of the other names, basically had a, a fairly boring quarter. Earnings are down. Free cash flow is down, all else equal, quarter over quarter versus the comps from last year. And that was expected. Coming into the year, we know EBITDA guidance for the sector at large was down from where we were in 2022. And part of that is just you had a record year. And so comps become really tough. And with energy prices down, well off of their highs, you're going to have less earnings. But what's interesting about energy is the place that the sector is in, in terms of the social consciousness and the market consciousness, because we're seeing these heat waves around the world. And naturally, that brings a lot of coverage about climate change, the impact of fossil fuels and carbon dioxide and methane emissions on climate change. And so with energy companies, Every quarterly earnings report isn't just about what they're doing in their natural gas or their crude oil, or their refining business, their services business, et cetera. It's what are they doing from an investment perspective to transition away from fossil fuels? And the punchline seems to be that people are unhappy with what Exxon and Chevron and these companies, these oil majors, if you will, are doing to invest in the energy transition. In fact, there was an op-ed in the New York Times talking about how these companies should lean more aggressively into the energy transition and that these pockets of the business are really small. They're de minimis in terms of what they invest in other pockets of traditional legacy energy businesses. Now, of course, as corporations, these companies have a balancing act between their commitment to shareholders, which, of course, is job number one as a corporation, and their commitment to trying to diversify, unlock, uncover new business opportunities. And the economics of a lot of these clean energy, a lot of these renewable energy businesses 
is more or less unknown. And these companies are diff- in a difficult position in the sense that they're trying to maximize, optimize their legacy businesses while trying to also figure out what's next and what opportunities may arise for the expertise, for the intellectual property that they have. What is fungible to some of these renewable businesses? We know We've talked about how many of these large oil companies, these legacy energy companies will be likely invested in many of these major carbon capture projects. In fact, it wasn't long ago that Exxon spent nearly $5 billion acquiring a company which is basically in the business of CO2 pipelines. And to the extent that these companies have the free cash flow that is currently going toward dividends, that is currently going toward share buybacks and redirect it towards some of these renewable energy businesses means that in, th- in theory, some of these renewable energy businesses will be takeout targets for companies at the top of the cap spectrum in XLE and beyond. And also, importantly, that these companies will start to redirect growth capex towards projects in the renewable energy segment that align with an energy transition mandate. And as we've talked about, make XLE, in theory, an important part of a comprehensive energy transition strategy, which should be inclusive of legacy energy, infrastructure, renewable energy, raw materials. And in that way, investors, advisors working on behalf of them can build a comprehensive mosaic of exposures that gives them exposure to the energy transition. I know we've talked about energy ad nauseum on this podcast as a sector in focus, but it really is such a fascinating segment of the market because when you think about legislative backdrop, net negative, when you think about the overall social aspect of many of these legacy energy companies, very negative getting increasingly negative and increasingly critical. But when you think about the economic import of what these companies do, they very much are still the engine of what we do on a daily basis here in the United States and globally. And it's important that these companies continue to find ways to incorporate the energy transition into their guidance, into their language, into their earnings calls, so that investors who might have an ESG bent or might be averse to investing in legacy energy companies start to come back under the umbrella. And we've seen some flows. We've seen some relative performance. And we'll see if that continues for the rest of 2023 and beyond. Next week on the economic data front, not anything on the level of CPI or PPI, but we do get retail sales. We've got housing starts, building permits. We'll get the FOMC minutes. So for those of us who like to parse that language from the FOMC, that'll be available this week. And then at the end of the week, we'll get LEIs or leading economic indicators, which, as we've talked about, have some components in there that are showing some pretty troubling signs economically and are pointing to, at least from the conference board's perspective, a potential recession in Q4 or Q1 2024, which, of course, seems to be an unpopular opinion, considering most of the folks who are predicting a recession in 2023 have moved off of that and have effectively capitulated on their recession calls. On the earnings front, we've got just 17 companies this week, fairly quiet. Home Depot, Target, Walmart, Deer are the ones that jumped out at me. And of course, some of those companies will give us a tremendous gauge on the state of the consumer and on the state of significant components of the consumer economy. 
So with that, I'd like to thank everyone for joining me once again. My name is Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC Alps Advisors. I hope everyone has a wonderful week. And please do not forget to visit SectorSpiders.com for all the information on sectors, research, content, collateral, market updates, etc. that you'll ever need. Take care. 